all of us to do something. And I don't know your background in going to church on Easter. There are some that I have never met. I hope to get to meet you before you leave today. And I don't know what your background is in church going on Easter. But I'm going to ask all of us to do something. I'm humbly and yet forthrightly going to ask if you would allow me the privilege to just pray over all of us together around the front of this church. So I'll tell you today what that means. That doesn't mean you're going to join New Life. No one's going to get you off in a corner and demand that you become a member here. But we do believe, Pastor Nate said it right at the beginning of this service, we do believe that God has a destiny for every single person here. And I think it would be a great blessing upon all of us, whether you're here as a single or in a family, to just be prayed over. And so I'm just going to ask you at the close of the message, I'll make it real clear when that's going to be, would you come and just join for a, a moment of prayer around the front of this sanctuary? This is a very personal message that I will preach today on this Resurrection Day. What I preach this morning is more than just an Easter Sunday themed message. It speaks of something that is a part of the DNA here at this church. I'll say more about that here in just a little bit. And uh, I really feel like the Lord's going to help us today. Would you just pray right now? Would you pray for me as a preacher and you and your heart to be open to receive God's word? Would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I thank you for the privilege that we've had to lift our voices in song and Lord, you've drawn near to us as we've worshipped you. And I pray over the next few minutes that you will just prepare this house and prepare our hearts to be open to receive your word. We are all individuals, so we come with level footing at the foot of the cross today. And I pray that through the Bible preached, you would save and you would deliver and you would minister to every one of us. Lord, for that, I'm going to thank you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 216 years ago, Napoleon, the great leader, ordered his police to establish an office in Paris, France. It was unlike any other office, perhaps, that's ever been established. It was not necessarily meant to be an administrative place, but rather it was an office for lost objects. And officials say that it was the first of its kind anywhere in the world. We have a lost and found here at our church. It's down in a, in a closet or a, a little office area here at the church. Maybe you've seen the lost and found at your elementary school, or there's usually a big lost and found at the airport, and it's amazing what people leave behind. But in this particular uh, place of being a collection, if you will, of things lost. It has transformed over the years, over 200 years, to not just be a place where lost things are placed, but it actually has become a museum in Paris. Now, I want to show you a couple of pictures from this museum. I want you to look at all the little cubby holes and all the little papers and the purses and the coin envelopes and everything that's laid there. This represents people's lives. This represents sacred things and special things for people. Uh, officials say that most of the objects are found on or around some means of transportation in Paris, many times in the Paris metro, the train system, in taxis or buses or uh, in train stations or even at the Paris Airport. The kinds of objects, they say, change with the seasons. In winter, they've had skis left in the lost and found. Now, I don't know how that happens. 
Because if you're taking skis with you, it just stands to reason you want to go skiing. And I don't know the person that would get in their Uber or their Lyft or their rental car or get picked up by a friend and say, we're here for our ski trip. We've got it all put together and forget your skis. In the summertime, sunglasses and roller skates. And one official said it like this, we are, in a way, a museum of daily life. That's what's in this museum in Paris. Now, one of the things that's become especially profound as far as transportation in the last number of years is Uber, and I'm a big Uber fan. When I go to certain cities, I use Uber, and I get in cars with strangers to go around town. It's one of the greatest phenomenons happening in the transportation industry today, Uber. And according to Uber and their latest lost and found report revealed in the United States, the top 10 items most frequently left behind in Ubers are phones, cameras, wallets, keys, purses and backpacks, clothing, glasses, headphones, vapes and e-cigarettes, IDs and licenses, people who had them in their possession and then left them behind. They have been lost over time. But on this particular Easter Sunday of 2021, I have a question. What about when someone loses hope? Hope is a feeling of expectation. It is a desire for a certain thing to happen. And I want to stop long enough to say that as long as you and I have hope, we're okay. As long as we wake up in the morning with hope, we can make it through the day. But just perchance there are individuals here on this Sunday morning who know what it is every once in a while to wake up and there is a void where hope used to exist. There is an empty place where a feeling of expectation used to dwell. In the scripture, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. The great man of God who endured much and stayed true. His name was Job, and in Job we see it written like this, Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Watch this. Such is the destiny of all who forget God so perishes the hope of the godless. When someone does not have God as their hope, here's what Job said, their life, their expectation will not thrive. Their expectation, their life will wither like a plant in the hot sun. Job declared it further in Job 11 and verse 12, the eyes of the wicked will fail and escape will elude them. Their hope, will become a dying gasp. And so with these truths in mind from Scripture, on this Resurrection Sunday, my prayer is simple. 
It's actually the same prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus when he put pen to paper and said, I pray that God will open your minds to see his truth. Then you will know the hope that he has chosen us to have. You will know that the blessings God has promised his holy people are rich and glorious. Now I have to confess something to you. I am a preacher and I find it difficult to put it into words. Adequate words, the hope that God has for people in this room. I wish there was a way, I can't do this literally, but I wish there was a way that I could walk up to every man and every woman to whom I preach to today and open up your head and your heart and deposit in you what God has in mind for your life if we would simply open up to him. And so let me with just frail words and simple words try to preach it from the word of God. I think it would amaze us what God could do with our life if we would make him more than just a casual habit, but he would be God of our life. He would be Lord of our life. He would absolutely make a difference. Everybody say hope. What do you do? If you don't have hope, if you've lost hope, well, I've come to declare that through God's word today. And I want to simply say, hope lives today. Hope lives today. This is more than just a slogan that we've been promoting on social media for the last several weeks in anticipation of this Easter Sunday. Hope lives today. I want, to, I want you to hear it across this pulpit today. Hope lives today. Hope is alive today. Hope is not an ancient idea. Hope is not something buried in the past, but hope is alive on this Sunday morning. We've come to April 2021, and there is great hope in this house today. Hope lives today. And so the first thing I present to this august group on this Sunday morning is this. Hope lives in Jesus Christ. Hope lives in a man called Jesus. It was February the 4th, 2003, and the location was the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. A preacher by the name of Gene Terrio stood up. He's a chaplain. And just a few days prior, three days prior exactly, the space shuttle Columbia exploded over the sky, and uh, this country was immersed in grief and pain at the loss of astronauts, people who were just simply doing their job, and yet through mechanical error, there was a tragedy that took place that gripped the conscience and the heart of our country. And so Gene Terrio was tasked with praying the prayer at the memorial service to try to give some sort of comfort to people that were wounded and people that were tragic in their spirit. He said it like this, and I quote, Great God, strong to save. Thank you for honoring us with your presence at this ceremony of remembrance. To know you in times of joy and success is a wonderful blessing for which we are truly grateful. Yet, to experience you in times of tragedy and sorrow, to experience you when everything goes wrong and all our best efforts are not enough, to experience you then is to us life and our only reliable hope. 
I want to hitchhike almost 20 years later on what Gene Terrio said, and I will confess to you, Jesus Christ, for me, is not just a man in history, but he is my only reliable hope. Jesus is more than a figment of somebody's imagination. Jesus is more than a historical figure that walked dusty shores of Galilee. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Jesus, the man, is my only reliable hope. If you want hope today, meet Jesus. If you want hope today, introduce yourself to Jesus. Get to know Jesus because hope lives in Jesus Christ. Our greatest hope, our greatest expectation, our greatest desire, hear me this morning, is not found in a worldly system. It is not found in a political structure. It is not found by celebrity status. It is not found by preferred social standing in culture. It is not even found by acceptance by peers. But this man named Jesus is our only reliable hope. He's our only reliable hope. He's what we're banking our life upon today. We have to consider this this morning, the context of life when this man Jesus walked on the earth, his chosen people, the Jews, God's people, God's chosen people, found themselves under Roman oppression. They were not their own. They had people lording over them, but they had been told for generations that there's coming a Savior one day. There's coming a Messiah one day. There's coming a rescuer one day. Hey, I want you to stay the course, Jews. I want you to stay in the fight because one of these days there is coming a man from among you that will be more than just another Jew, but he will be a savior of your people. He will be called the Messiah, which means the anointed one. He will come and he will rescue you and he will deliver you and he will bless you and he will give you strength. Their hope a people's hope lived in a man called Jesus. No wonder it was a, a mighty powerful moment as John tells in John 1 and verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Watch this now. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man. Would you shout it at me? Say a man. A man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. This made him the anointed one. It's why they called him the Christ, because the Christ means the anointed one. John said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized 
baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. New Life Church on an April Sunday morning, our hope lives in the man Jesus Christ. Our hope lives in Jesus of Nazareth. Our hope lives in Jesus Christ. He is our rescue. He is our Savior. He is our only reliable hope. That's why the psalmist said we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. The Hebrew writer said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hope lives in a man called Jesus Christ. Say that with me. Hope lives in Jesus Christ. I also must be very careful to share with this congregation this very powerful truth from the Bible. And that is this. Hope lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if there is not a gospel for us to look at and obey, then all Jesus is is just a historical figure. Can I just tell you something? Everybody look right here, and I, I know I'm a new guy to some of y'all. I'm just a short preacher, originally from Chicago, but born now spiritually born and bred in Arkansas. Can I tell you something? If there's no gospel, then we can dismiss Jesus. If there's no gospel to be obedient to, then we can slough it off and say he's just like Napoleon. He's just like some political leader. He's just like some religious zealot. He's just a historical figure. But in this man named Jesus is something that the scripture calls the gospel or the good news. And because of that, Hope lives today. Hope lives. This is where it gets personal to us as a church. New Life Church, from the very beginning of our, our church, have three things that we are committed to. We are committed to growing believers to maturity. That means when you serve the Lord. We don't want you to stay where you're at. We want you to grow in your maturity. We also exist to strengthen families. That's why we have a kids ministry and two great services going on for our kids right now while we're here in the sanctuary a youth ministry, a student ministry, a young adult ministry. Why? We want parents to be equipped and empowered and learn and kids to grow up knowing what it is to honor father and mother. We want to strengthen families. But there is something about this church that is at the very beginning of our purpose, and it's been here for 22 years now, and that is this New Life Church exists to share the hope of the gospel. So if you're new to our church, let me just kind of cut to the chase. We do not exist just so we can get together. We don't exist because none of us have anything better to do on a Sunday morning than get up early and come to church. We don't exist for peanut brittle. We don't exist just for fellowship dinners, and thank God for all of that. We don't exist just to build new buildings. We don't exist just to kind of bide time till Jesus catches us away. But this church is here, and we have designed this day today in all of our ability to be a place and a time where someone can open up the Bible and not declare man's words, not declare what Tim Gaddy thinks, but what does the Bible say is the good news and preach the gospel, because hope lives in the gospel. 
The gospel literally means good news. So let me let the Bible interpret itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. The gospel saves us. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here he is. Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. It saves you, and here it is. Number one, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Watch this now. Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection becomes the pattern for our obedience to this man called Jesus. And here's what the scripture says of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. The gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So there is something inherent in the death of Jesus the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus that saves us when we obey it. When Peter preached in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost, the hearers were sorrowful and they were convicted for their wrong. And they simply asked the question, what do we need to do? Now I want you to notice what Peter did not say. Peter did not say, come back next year on this holiday. Come back next year at the Feast of Pentecost. And if you come back next year at the Feast of Pentecost and you do that enough, you will find good standing with God. No, he made it very, very clear. When they ask the question, we're in the presence of God and we feel guilty about our wrong. We are convicted by the way that we are living. What do we have to do? Peter made it very clear. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, please, would you hear this preacher today? Many times it is easy to want God to fix things in our life. We may not say it to people, but we would say it in our heart. If he was really God, then he would, you fill in the blank. However, I want you to notice something from the Bible. The promise is found through our obedience. The promise of glory, the promise of the Spirit... The promise that will endure to every generation is found through our obedience. Proverbs 14 and 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So Peter makes it very clear. When you come to him, the first thing you must do, Tim, is you must repent. Turn from your sin. That's what that word literally means. It's an acknowledgement that my way is the wrong way. And God's way is the right way. And so I'm going to confess that to God. I'm not doing it right. And I'm going to turn toward him and say, I need you to help me do it right. 
Repentance is more than sorrow. Repentance is more than crocodile tears. Repentance is not me being sorry I got caught. Repentance is me saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. And I am turning away from that and facing you for help. That's what the word repentance means. Oh, I wish God would help me with fill in the blank. I wish God would come down and spare me from fill in the blank. When all the while, the man Jesus, whose life is a pattern, is saying to us, I've got glory for you. I've got blessings for you. I've got a promise for you. All I'm asking you to do is to obey my pattern. Say, well, Brother Gaddy, woo, you're getting kind of in my business now. I'm going to have to get my shoes shined. After this, you're stepping all over them. Can I just tell you something? If you think you're not right with God, get in line. Because Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a man or woman in this house that deserves one ounce of God's grace. This man with this microphone doesn't deserve one ounce of God's grace, but it is because of his grace and because of his mercy that the Bible says endures forever that you and I even have the privilege to sit in an Easter Sunday service. And all he's asking us to do is acknowledge that the way we're doing it is not the right way. Repent. Everybody say repent. repent. And then he said be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I want you to notice what repentance does. It acknowledges my sin. But I want you to notice what the Bible says water baptism does. It removes my sin. Hey, let me just preach it clearly this morning. It's not enough for me just to acknowledge my sin. I've got to let his blood and his sacrifice wash that sin away. Anybody want to walk out of Easter Sunday service with a brand new start, a brand new path, a brand new life? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of of sins. Now, I want you just to see this because this is important and I'm, I'm just about done. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, after Peter preaches, here's what the scripture says. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, here's what I love about this church. At any time that we're together, we have water in that baptistry right there. Just so you know, if you're new to our church, this is the baptistry back here. There's water. I can't reach it because I'm short, but there's water back here. And I checked this morning. It's warm water. One of the first people I ever baptized here at this church was a sweet lady named Mary. And we rented, we didn't rent, we borrowed a baptistry from another church. And we had no heater for the baptistry. So it was ice cold. She got in there and started quivering. And I thought, we got to make this a real quick baptism. But we have a heater. And if, if, if we had 3,000 people show up today to be baptized, we would run out of robes a long time before 3,000. We'd have to send some of y'all home in your clothes, wet clothes. 
But here's what I made up my mind. I remember telling the Lord one time, uh, year, years, years ago when we first started our church, it seemed like there at that time was not, a, not many people being water baptized. And so I'm just going to give you an insight into this pastor's prayer. I, I prayed. I, I knelt down and prayed one day, and I said, Lord, there's not a lot of people submitting to water baptism. That bothers me. I want to see more people water baptized. And I never will forget what Jesus said to me. He said, you ready? Buckle up. This is going to be so deep. He said, do you want to see more people baptized? I said, yes, Lord. That's what I just said. He said, I've got the answer for you. Yes, Lord. Speak to me. Speak to me. And he said, put water in the baptistry. Some of y'all were waiting like for this ancient dialect of Hebrew or Greek that God's... No, he said to Tim, put water in the bath. At that time, we had a horse tank. How many of you were baptized in that horse tank? Would you raise your hand? We have several horse tank people here. He said, put water in the tank. And my next statement to the Lord was, but Lord, we don't have anybody lined up to be baptized in that, in that tank. And the Lord spoke back to me and said, I didn't ask you if you had anybody lined up to be baptized. Put water in the tank. Because you putting, <laughs> you putting water in the tank is going to say something. You are putting water, expecting people to be water baptized. So just so you know, if you're new to our church, we have water in the tank today. Not because we're enamored with having water in our tank, but I came this morning expecting that somebody would be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? If you've never been water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, today is your day. Today is your day. If you've never obeyed that part of the plan of salvation, today is your day. Because it's a command in Scripture, repent, turn from sin, acknowledge sin, but then be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And when people accepted the message preached, they naturally were water baptized. That's the pattern in Scripture. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When there's acceptance and when there's belief, there's water baptism. It naturally follows. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Can I just say it? I'm going to say it clearly. And I'm going to say it in, in line with the word of God. We don't water baptize people to simply identify with a local church. Now, is there an identification with a local church? Yes, because no one can say when you're water baptized in that tank, you weren't baptized at New Life in Cabot. But it is much deeper than that. Because when Peter preached the message, the first message of salvation, he said this is water baptism that removes your sins. In other words, it's when you go down in the waters of baptism that that acknowledged sin is now washed away and removed from your life. So I want to say it clearly today. If you've never been water baptized in the name of Jesus, today is your day. Water baptism is the scriptural and acceptable obedience to accepting and believing the gospel message. And then Peter said this at Pentecost, you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. Watch this. I come to him with sin and my repentance acknowledges it. 
I then go down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, and my sins are washed away. Now I am a vessel ready to be filled with something much more powerful than the sin that used to dominate me. And I become a vessel that his Holy Spirit comes into. His Holy Spirit is the replacement to begin to guide my life where my sin used to guide my life. My flesh used to guide my life. My own desires used to guide my life. Now, because I have acknowledged my sin and turned from it, and because I've had that sin washed away in the waters of baptism, now I am a vessel for his Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in. And here's what the Word of God says in the Gospel of John. That Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. Can I just tell you, it'll do more than give you a rush on a Sunday morning. It'll help you on Monday and it'll help you on Tuesday. It will lead. It will guide. It will direct. It will give you a path to walk on. Praise God. Praise God. It is. The Holy Spirit is the replacement for sin and the power to live above it. That's why Paul said if we had hope only in this life, we would be of all people most pitied, most miserable. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'm going to sit right here by these beautiful flowers. I want every person here in this 9 o'clock service today to leave here and know that you have heard, whether it's the first time or the 1,001st time, you have heard the gospel preached. You've heard the gospel preached. And I want to say it, and, and, and I, want, I want you to, to look right here. Once we hear the gospel, then I become accountable and you become accountable for what that means in our life. I wouldn't be worth my weight in salt, whatever that cliche means. I've said that my whole life. Someone researched that for me this week. Tell me what that means. I wouldn't be worth anything as a preacher if I got us here on Easter Sunday. Not I didn't get us here, but you came on Easter Sunday. And I just preached a message. And I'm not about abrasive messages. I'm not about coming and batting people over there. But here, I wouldn't be worth anything if I just preach a sermon to you today and people walk out of here and say, that just made me feel good. I have a responsibility as a preacher to preach the message that can get us from this life to heaven someday. And there is one message the Bible teaches that does that, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me just boil it down. What am I doing about the gospel? What am I doing about his death? We talked about that in our Good Friday prayer meeting two nights ago. What am I doing about his burial? What am I doing about his resurrection? Isn't it interesting to note that when Peter preached at Pentecost, he actually hit all three of those. You have to repent. That's a dying out to me. You have to be buried with him in baptism. That's symbolic of his burial. And then he fills you with his Holy Spirit and raises you to new life, resurrects you with his power. This is how we obey the gospel. Hope lives 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was 13 years old. I prayed and repented of my sins on a Sunday evening in church. I went down in the waters of baptism in June of 1983. I was wearing black trousers and a white dress shirt. I feel like such a woman saying that right there. I still remember what I was wearing. My pastor had me hold my nose like this and put my other hand like this. He said, Tim, I'm going to baptize you now. I said, okay, I'm ready. He said, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he dipped me back under the water and he brought me back up like I have done hundreds of times in this church. And it wasn't just a few weeks later. I was another Sunday night at our church and I came forward for prayer. And I lifted up my hands and I had acknowledged my sin and turned from it in repentance. I had been water baptized in the name of Jesus for the removal of that sin. But then I was ready. I was a vessel. I wanted his spirit to fill me. And it happened quickly on that Sunday night. I lifted up my hands. I began to worship the Lord and the Lord began to speak through me in another tongue as his Holy Spirit came in my life. And can I just tell you something? I'm now 50 years old. That was a long time ago. But look at this preacher. If he can do that for me, he can do that for you. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to back into it. You today can pray a prayer that opens up to a, a future that we, never, we couldn't imagine what God has for us. I want you to stand with me right now. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, I simply had a request. And the request was, would you let me pray over this congregation today? It doesn't mean you have to be a member here. If you're a guest, it doesn't mean that you, you have to st stay where you're at. But if you, would, if you would let us join together for prayer, just to signify our response to the word of God right now. Would you just step out from where you are and just fill up this front area right here? Can you do that? Just step out and fill up this area right here. Come on, that's it. Is this the way you feel today? Thank God my yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven. And I've been washed in. Sing it now, all my hope is in Jesus. All my hope is in Jesus. Have you found that to be true? If so, sing it now. Thank God my yesterday's gone. All my sins are All my sins are forgiven. Been washed in the blood. I've been washed in. Come on, sing it again. All my hope is in Jesus. Hey, oh, oh my hope is in Jesus. Hope lives in Jesus. Thank God. 
this crowd today and I, I see Karen and Tommy here and I, I preached about y'all about two weeks ago up in Wisconsin. I was preaching about water baptism. I never, ever, 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 ever will forget over two years ago when I preached a similar message that I'm preaching today. And I had people turn to each other and say, have you been water baptized in the name of Jesus? If, if no, would you like to be baptized? And these two right here, hands shot up in the air. I'm ready to be water baptized in Jesus' name. I preached about you all over America. And here's the reason why that's powerful, because it's a choice that we make. Listen to pastor right now. It's not a persuasion. It's not a grabbing of someone around their neck and making sure that they do it because we're pressuring anybody. But there are people here right now that while the word has been going forth, you felt a stirring in your spirit. You've been contemplating. You've been thinking about repentance. You've been thinking about water baptism. You've been desirous of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? That's, that is from God. He wants us to respond to that. So I'm going to make it real clear. If you're here, if you're here, we're going to pray again in just a minute, and we're going to give opportunity for us to truly repent. But if you're here and you've never been water baptized in the name of Jesus, you can get baptized today. All you got to do is wave at me, wave at Pastor Chris, wave at Pat. Let somebody know that before you go to Easter dinner, you want to make sure you're obedient to God's word and be water baptized in the name of Jesus. You will not inflict any blight on our schedule. If we get to 11 o'clock in the next congregations here, we'll just hold them off till we get done baptizing people. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, God can baptize you today with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled to overflowing. Amen. God's speaking right now. Please, let's be obedient to God's word. Would you lift your voice with me again right now? Every man and woman, would you just individually pray right now? God, I come to you telling you right now that the way that I've lived has not been the right way, Lord. I recognize your word preached has convicted me, Lord, of the way that I see things and the way that I've walked out my life. And so right now, God, I am turning from that in my heart and in my spirit. And I am acknowledging that I have been guilty of the lust of the flesh. I have looked at things, observed things that I haven't been, hasn't been right, Lord. It's been not in alignment with your word. Forgive me for that, Lord Jesus. I've been guilty of the lust of the eyes. I've got my eyes on things I shouldn't get my eyes on, Lord. I've been guilty of the pride of life, of being arrogant or pompous or presumptuous, Lord. Please hear me today, God. Forgive me for that today. Lord, I just rest in your word right now that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us of our sins. That's it. Come on, tell that to Jesus right now. He loves when we're honest with him right now. The way I'm walking on is not the way I need to be, Lord. I turn from that right now. I acknowledge that wrong. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord. And I receive your forgiveness right now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, bring hope back in my life as I am obedient to your word. In Jesus' name. And I will take that next step for you, Lord. I will, Lord. I will take that next step in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. Amen. You 
have blessed us by being in the house of the Lord today. You have honored us by coming and worshiping with us on this resurrection day. Amen. If you want to be water baptized, just wave at me right now. Just wave at somebody right now. You're dismissed whenever you would like. Let, let this be a great resurrection celebration for you today with your families. Amen. Go in the name of Jesus. We'd love to see you back. Thank you for being with us today. Let's sing as we're exiting the house today. Let us know if you'd like to be water baptized in Jesus' name.